Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Stand with me if you would, please. Begin reading in verse 1, Revelation chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed him, and power was given them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, to kill with sword and with hunger, and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Thank you. You may be seated. If you like to take notes and reference things, I'm going to give you just a few things about chapter 6 and, the, and these, uh, not only chapter 6, but the seven seals. Um, I, am, I am intrigued uh, and, and not, uh, not entirely, uh, my, I guess my, my interest is peaked more than ever at the correlation between the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven vials. One of the neat things to do, I laid, and I think I mentioned this last week, uh, first of all, the seven churches out in a chart, and then next to that, the seven seals, and then next to that, the seven trumpets, and next to that, the seven vials. And what caught my attention, I just want to make a comparison because they're sets of seven in the book of Revelation. I am not big into numerology, but God does use numbers, and they mean something. And so we don't want to make them mean more than the Bible says, but they do have significance. And so when we look at the number seven, of course, it's completion of what I, I would take away from that first and foremost is God's judgment when revelation is done will have been complete. His plan on earth complete. You have three sets of seven judgments. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And God is making very clear His judgment on earth. I began to say earlier, as you go through the seals and the trumpets and the vials, the judgment intensifies so that it's like the pitch of God's wrath is, is heightening as you go through the book. But one of the things I found interesting is there is a direct correlation between the seals and the vials. What you find in introduction in the seals is carried out in finality in, in the vials. For instance, you have a great earthquake in the seals, and I believe both in the seventh seal and in the seventh vial, a great earthquake. But the earthquake in the vial is far greater than the one in, in the seal. And what I find as I read that is God is introducing his judgment with the seal judgments, and he is finishing his judgment with the vials that are poured out. The sad thing about it as you read through these judgments is the, the general response of mankind to God's judgment is not to fear and tremble and repent, but they're gnawing on their tongues for pain and blaspheming the name of God as he reveals to them and reminds mankind that he is still in control. He, it's still his, his creation. 
instead of, and people will be saved during the tribulation period, but by and large the world hardens further against God until it's led into a final rebellion and loses, of course. But uh, here in chapter 6, again, if you want to take notes, I'm going to give you the, the verses for the seven seals. If you want to write these down, that's fine. I put them in the margin of my Bible uh, for quick reference. Revelation 6, 1 and 2 is seal number 1. Revelation 6, 3 and 4, seal number 2. Revelation 6, 5 and 6, seal number 3. Revelation 6, 7 and 8, seal number 4. Those are easy. Okay, and those, are, those first four are four horsemen. Revelation 6, 9 through 11 is seal number 5. Revelation 6, 12 through 17 is seal number 6. And then we don't get Reve uh, seal number 7 until Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. For our purpose, we've outlined this chapter this way. Verses 1 through 4 are the four horsemen. That's the first four seals. We'll use a point to deal with the faithful host, seal number 5. There's a, a host of martyrs under the throne. That's the fifth seal, verses 9 through 11. And then the final or the sixth seal, the fury of heaven, verses 12 through 17. That's how I've outlined chapter 6. So if you're keeping notes, then that's the way that goes. So tonight we're going to tackle these first uh, eight verses and the first four seals. Uh, let's, let's read again. The Bible says in verse 1, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, we'll just have a little bit of enjoyment here. Who is this person on this white horse with a crown and a bow? Who do you think? Okay, some say the Antichrist. Here's the irony. I read multiple good writers today. One said the Antichrist, and the other said the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, here's what we do know. I, I, I personally don't believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he's doing. What you find, he's going forth to, to conquer and conquering. Here's, what, here's, here's my conclusion. You can take it for what it's worth. Turn, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a text that got referenced by every sound, faithful writer that I would, I would put some stock in and listen to. This text came up again and again, and this is at the onset of the tribulation before the rest of the tribulation is going to be carried out and people are going to receive the mark of the beast. They've got to be given strong delusion. Now, when you find that this, this rider is on a white horse, who does it draw your mind to? The Lord Jesus Christ, does it not? But he's going forth to open up judgment on earth and it would seem through some level, he's got a bow in his hand. There's no arrow in the bow, but he's going to conquer. So without bloodshed, he's going to conquer people. And it seems to me, as we couple this with 2 Thessalonians, and I, I don't believe this is a stretch, that at the onset, the, before all the other things come, people have already been defeated by a lie. They've been deceived. Throughout, throughout the book of Revelation, Satan's effort is to mimic Christ. And we do know this. That wicked one, the Antichrist, will come as though he is the Messiah, the Savior. And God, we know these four horsemen are sent from God in the sense of they're sent for judgment. How do you remember this? Let me, let me back up into the Old Testament. Remember Ahab was going to go to battle and God had already decided he's going to kill Ahab? Remember, remember that? All right? Ahab had decided he's going to battle against Jehoshaphat to go with him to battle. But Ahab had defied God and God had already decided he was going to judge Ahab on that day. And there was a council held in heaven. How are we going to get Ahab into battle to kill him? And somebody said, I can do it. I said, how? I said, I'll be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And I'll go out. And you know what? Ahab was defeated before he ever went on the battlefield. You know why? He was willing to believe a lie. Now, God is no liar. But you'll find this throughout Scripture. When people decide they don't want to believe his truth, 
there comes a point where he will give them what they want. And he will cause them to believe the lie they wanted to believe. God is not a liar. God cannot lie. But how many of us know that... Now, by the way, the false prophets that deceived, they were false prophets. True prophets won't lie. And here what we find in the early part of the tribulation, there are those that are going to be defeated and are going to fall for the Antichrist before he ever... before the plagues ever start falling from God, before any of those things come... And so I think there's a correlation here with this white horse, which would represent purity, but he's going to kill people. <laughs> that, that, we know the Lord Jesus will return at the end with a rod of iron and a sword coming out of his mouth. But this man, who carries a bow without an arrow? And the other thing that went to my mind was this. The other thing that went to my mind was this. What does Satan fire at us? Fiery darts. Does he not? Fiery darts. And so... In my mind, as I read about this white horse and the man with a crown who has power to conquer, I'm not going to tell you it's the Antichrist. I am going to say this. I believe it represents defeating the world through deception before any of the other things come along so that when everything else comes along, they're already defeated and ready to go along with the program that's being implemented on this earth. And that's in line with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you look with me there, the Bible says in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, that's capital W, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So what was the first decision they made? We don't want the truth, Right? Then the Bible says, and for this cause, because they would receive not the love of the truth, might be saved, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What a profound text of Scripture. If you're saved tonight and you love the Lord, that text ought to make you tremble a bit. I believe that. To know that there are people today who are having the opportunity to be saved and if they say, no, I don't want to be saved, we'll read more about the lying signs and wonders that the Antichrist will put in place, the beast and his false prophet under the direction of the dragon, Satan. We know that Satan mimics the Trinity and that, and he does wonders, miracles. One of the, the concerning things to me about the charismatic movement in our day is I believe it's setting the stage for people to be looking for signs and wonders and be deceived by the Antichrist because they've rejected the gospel, they've rejected the love of the truth, then what God says, because you rejected the truth, I'm going to allow you to believe a lie. So a couple of things about this white horseman. I'm not going to render a judgment on who it is because the Bible doesn't say. What we do know is if you compare the four horsemen, all of them are about bringing judgment on earth and things that are already in place being unrestrained and let go uh, to the point that it judges men. So we know the rider of this white horse, the implications of the text, I can't say that it's Christ because the implication of the text and the connotation is not that it's a good person. This is someone that seems to have an evil intention. How many of us understand this about a bow? It is one of the only weapons in the Bible that is a long-range weapon. Gives you the idea that this rider has a long-term goal. A long-term goal. Here's someone with a bow in their hand. The other rider is going to have a sword. He's bringing present tense war. But this first rider... He's strategic. He's got a long-term goal. He's got a bow. He's shooting in the distance, and he's coming to conquer. And so uh, it's interesting to me that the conqueror, the one who's conquering and con uh, conquering as he goes, um, 
that as he goes along as he's conquering, uh, that that is done first, not last. You would think that the other horses would come first and the result would be, and they're conquered. No, they're conquered before the, other, the others even come along. And so uh, we'll, we'll entitle the first seal, the seal of defeat. This rider is defeating those on earth uh, even, even before uh, the other plagues and the other things that are, that are going to come on mankind comes. So that's the white horse. He's got a crown on his head, a bow in his hand. He's going uh, forth conquering and to conquer. So he is not just currently conquering. He's going to continue to do that. And there's a progression that we see here. Then we come to the second seal. The Bible says in verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Let me just say this about all four of these four horsemen, or these four sealed judgments that are open. Another uh, uh, One of the authors that I read, John Phillips, points out, these are all things that are already present on earth. There's already men killing one another. They have been since the days of Cain. How many know there's already deception on earth? There's already long-term strategic plans to deceive mankind in place, right? You'll find out the other is famine. How many of us know there's famine on earth today? There is destitution. But how many of us understand all of that God allows right now in His goodness for mankind to have wisdom and ability to restrain those things? It's true. I, I believe with all my heart the salt and the light, Christians on earth, are the source by which those things, because the Holy Spirit indwells us, that is what's withholding so much of the evil that's on earth today. That's why 2 Thessalonians says, He who now letteth will let, meaning he is, he is holding back and he is allowing certain things, but he's a restraining force until he be taken out of the way. When the Holy Spirit of God is removed, what you're going to see is the evils on this earth are unleashed. That's what you find here in this, this, because everything that's mentioned here are things that are already present. We already have famines, we already have death, we already have war, but thank God we're, we're not still in World War II. Aren't we glad for that tonight? I'm glad we're not still fighting that war. I'm glad it came to an end. I'm glad that conflicts in this, in this last you know, few decades have not continued. Uh, we, we always have that concern, but there seems to be, as you know, a restraining force, but those things are going to be removed. And so here we have the red horse. We're going to call him the horse of the, the seal of discord and destruction. The first one is a seal of defeat. The first one goes out to conquer, to overcome the will of men. Isn't that what, a, what conquering is? You conquer the will of men. You break down their will, and uh, Satan is, is going to be busy breaking down the will of men and getting them in submission to him. Then the Bible says the red horse shows up, and, uh, and it says, and the red horse uh, takes away peace. He has power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And you'll notice uh, that he goes out and he has, the rider of this horse has a sword, not a bow, uh, but a sword. It says, and power was given to him, verse 4, uh, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Very clearly, this horse represents warfare. He represents a murder and, and violence between uh, mankind. And so uh, we understand what's taking place here is this rider is going to bring tremendous unrest all over, all over the world. So the first one goes forth to conquer, to defeat the will of men, uh, and he does so. And then comes, uh, comes the one who has power to take away peace from the earth. Discord and destruction 
are going to spread. And we'll say more again about this as we get toward the last, the last seal here. Verse 5, and we're going to get into the third seal, okay? And we may, we may get in the next section as quickly as we're moving along here. That's all right. Uh, verse 5, the Bible says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Let me say about this, and this is interesting to me, and this should resonate with us when we see what's going on with inflation right now. Some of you may not be studying how the world economies are being manipulated, but I believe with all my heart they are. I read this week or heard on a, a, news, a news broadcast. It was a pastor who was giving a news broadcast. I never heard this. Some of you may say, where have you been? But he was giving some information about how the American dollar and the value of the American dollar is directly tied to the oil that's under Saudi soil. I mean, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Therefore, if you can manipulate, and we're not talking about conspiracy theories here, but when you can deal, and, and this is why you'll watch the price of oil affect our economy so much. How many you know the oil traditionally has had to be bought in U.S. dollars since 1973, I think it is. That was an agreement made between our, our president then, and I didn't write all the details of this. My point is this. There are people with tremendous power today who with a little bit of a shift here and a move here can completely manipulate the economies around the globe. Now, I, I'm not to the point where I believe one power is completely... Do How many of us understand this? How much the war in Ukraine has affected inflation across our planet? There's a guy waging that war that understands the leverage he has by who he buys oil from. How many of us understand, for instance, by the agreement that you can buy oil, but you don't have to buy it in U.S. dollars? I remember when I first heard that, I thought, so what's the big deal? What it does, it decreases the, the value of the American dollar. You say, what does this have to do with this plague? Everything. You understand what's going on here. The man on the black horse has what in his hands? A balance, meaning what is something worth? What sets the value? We read this, we say, I'll be honest with you, I first read it in my American brain and knew this couldn't. You understand the implication of this verse is that wheat and grain is really expensive. But we hear a penny for a measure? That's not much, Right. Uh, but when we get into the definition of what those terms mean and what a penny was worth when this was written, so I heard in verse 6, I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. So we know the wheat is of more value than barley, which is still would be true, is my understanding. But they're both three measures of barley for a penny. When this was written, my understanding is a penny is a day's wages. One day's wages. If you work eight hours... All right, eight hours, you say you earn 160 bucks. How many of you want to go buy a measure of wheat for $160? Or three measures of barley for 160 bucks? Okay, a measure, talking about maybe an ephah, which is, you know, I, I didn't write the, that down, but about an ephah of barley or wheat. So let's say you're going to go pay $160 for a five-pound bag of flour. How many of us want to do that? Now, thankfully, inflation is not there. But how many of us have watched the balances change in the last two years? Okay, so what I said at the beginning is these things are already all in place. This, the, this ability to manipulate things, what, what the voice in the midst of the throne is, is saying, I'm going to allow, I'm going to set this, that the, the everyday commodity is going to be so hard to get, it's going to be so expensive, 
that the ensuing result is going to be famine. That's what we're going to read about here in a minute, that hunger is going to come in upon people. Here's the amazing thing. It says, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. What do we know that oil and wine, especially through Proverbs, what do they represent? They're really a luxury. You, you, you don't have to have wine to survive or oil necessarily. I mean, we do need oil. But those are considered luxurious things, specifically if you're dealing with those who drink wine to get drunk. And what was pointed out, and I think aptly so by some of the men I was reading after, is this. Here you have the common everyday man starving to death because things are so expensive. That grain is so scarce you can barely get your hands on it and there are going to be people die from starvation. But the wealthiest are going to say, but you make sure to preserve my oil and wine now. And I read a story of uh, today where in the French Revolution it was stated, I believe, I believe it was Mr. Dickens wrote about the situation, how you had people living in basic, basically in palaces being served their froth chocolate by people who were starving to death because they couldn't afford to pay their, for their next meal. That's the picture that's painted here. Oh, don't hurt the oil and the wine. I've got to have my luxuries now. We have people over here starving to death who can't even afford to buy grain. And these folks having oil and wine. You have a tremendous gap between the classes, yes. And you have some starving to death and some living sumptuous lives. Do we not see that picture with Lazarus and the man at his gate, Luke 16? I mean, the la- Lazarus and the rich man, Luke 16? Here's Lazarus laid his gate full of sores, wanting to eat a crumb that fell from the rich man's table. And here's this man faring sumptuously every day. While that man lays at his gate dying. What a picture of the hardness of hearts of men during this period of time and the situation that's going to be working on earth. And so we call this black horse the horse of dearth on the earth. There's no doubt by the time we get done reading, you'll see this is referring to a famine uh, globally. And you can say a lot and you can read a lot about how deserts are growing. I, I don't intend to use a series of messages to instill fear in our hearts. This is something... We understand there are already famines today. There are places where grain is deficient. You can, if you want to be filled with fear today, you can listen to newscasts that talk about how uh, about the food shortage that's coming, about the economic crash that's coming, and it all may be true. But that is not our blessed hope, friends. <laughs> our blessed hope is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's keep that in our view. But here's what's going to be on earth, and I believe... One of the writers reading from the day was very helpful. He said, we're seeing the shadows cast of all these things already. What's happening is they're coming, and the light of God's word has told us they're coming, and we can see their shadows even as the shadow of the cross was cast in the Old Testament. Yes? You know what shadows are being cast today? The judgment of God on this earth. This week, this week alone, I've, I've had just some brief interactions with people, uh, some through the uh, Internet, um, last week was somebody who had received a mailer from our church, an invitation. Angry, I mean, just angry. Uh, one, the one man, angry because he got an invitation in his mailbox. Angry. And it was addressed in a way he felt it shouldn't be addressed. And so very angry about that, an angst against anything that has to do with God. I'm making some comments this week about... Uh, glad to see some legislation being put forward that treats a a baby like a human being. Boy, there's some angry people over the defense of human life. It tells us where we're living. We're seeing the foreshadowing of some judgment that's coming. I believe this. I I believe for Christians, 
what we watched through COVID should just, I mean, when you watch how the world powers reacted, if you've studied what the World Economic Forum is doing, and don't, don't spend a lot of time on that, but we ought to be aware these things are taking place. The World Economic Forum, if you're not familiar with it, they're a bunch of wicked folk who fall right in line with what we're reading here. But the fact of the matter is you can see the foreshadowing of these things coming, and it ought to excite us because we know what comes first. But it also ought to burden us because those who go into this period of time without Christ are not going to believe on Christ if they've heard the gospel. And I know we can't make them get saved, but you and I can sure have a fervency. The Bible says, of some have compassion making a difference and others with fear pulling them out of the fire. And we've talked about that and preached about that before. But this should stir our hearts to say, this is what's coming. And those who are here will first and foremost before, when the tribulation starts, the unbelievers will be defeated by the first rider. The first plague coming on this earth is conquest by the foe. They will have waved the white flag of surrender. I think that's what that white horse stands for, is people are being conquered. They'll have the white flag of surrender waved. We'll do whatever we need to, all right? And then, then we know that, that war breaks out. There'll be death. See, we have murder now. How many of us have seen, again, a little bit of foreshadowing? We've seen an uptick in violence. We've seen an uptick in people. If you've read anything about the murders that took place uh, down in Moscow and you've read anything about, we've had multiple shootings, and I understand the news magnifies a lot of that, but the truth is the callousness of heart that you're seeing between human beings is just a foreshadowing of what's going to take. If we think it's bad now, the murder and the war that will be in place at the onset of the tribulation uh, this time will pale in comparison, but it is a foreshadowing, no doubt. So we have the horse of defeat, the white horse, the horse of discord and destruction. That's the red horse. He's got a sword in his hand. Then we have the black horse, and the rider has balances in his hand, speaking of trade and the value of commodities. And, of course, we see then, again, a measure of wheat for a day's wages and three measures of barley. That's a bad situation uh, economically on the earth. And then the fourth horse is death itself, and it's a pale horse the Bible says in verse 7, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. That's capital D, because death is personified here. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Very interesting statement i think in verse nine or verse the end of verse eight think about this though right now if this took place how many deaths does that mean two billion we just in my life i've watched the world population hit six billion and then seven billion and now eight billion how many know we have eight billion inhabitants on this earth today roughly estimated can you imagine two billion people dying we have 300 was it 347 million in the united states and we're talking about two billion people dying. We've not had a plague like that. But the Bible says what's taking place in these first four plagues, the fourth, the fourth horseman is like the, he is like the combination of all three of the first. Uh, because of the conquest, because of the sword, because of the balances, this fourth horse, which is pale in color, very interesting, again, leaning hard on some of the guys that I'm reading after, but this pale horse, the word that's translated pale here in other portions of your Bible is translated green, meaning it's a, I don't mean to be morbid, but if you've ever seen a dead person, 
They look like someone who's nauseous. They're pale. Green, clammy, pale. Not a pretty sight. The pale horse and the rider is death and hell, meaning, let me, let me ask you this. Are we not living in a culture right now that glories in death? Absolutely. I mean, if you want to, to write up a hit series on TV, then center it around death and destruction. I mean, it's almost like our, our, our culture is craving it. Uh, we're having games where you kill people and the movies that are popular killing people and uh, there's an emphasis on death. We have the promotion of abortion. You have the promotion just north of our border. Uh, they are promoting um, uh, euthanasia and, and it is legal and encouraged. Uh, by the way, this is all the fallout from the theory of evolution. Once you accept the theory of evolution, you devalue human life. It doesn't matter. The state of Washington a couple years ago uh, legalized um, using compost from human remains. Now, there's, re there's regulations on that. But now they are composting human bodies. Remember when I heard that, I thought, I can't find a Bible verse that says, thou shalt not compost human bodies. But that is perverse. And it is. They are making money off of dead humans composted. There's no respect for human life. I'm going to say something. I'm going to get in trouble with folks. But even the rise in, in um, cremating people is a disrespect for human life. I understand it's common today. I get, this is one of the most common questions I get as a pastor. Is it sin to be cremated? Well, you're dead. So the answer would be no. <laughs> it's not inherently sinful. But it does reveal something about some sinfulness in us as a culture and our disrespect for human life. Number one reason, help me here tonight, number one reason we cremate instead of bury. Help me now. It's cheaper. Number one reason. That means, and I understand, I, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not throwing everybody on the bus that's done that. I, that's not where I'm at. But it does indicate our lack of value for human life, saying, you know what, let's do this as cheap as we can. Let's just get by as cheap as we can. Let's get this person done with and out of the way. You know? And I understand maybe not the way people feel when they're doing that. And I understand a lot of issues surrounding this. I'm just saying in general, even among God's people, there's been a decrease in the value of human life. And there is an emphasis on death. And you say, why are you saying all that? Because there's going to come a point where God says, okay, you've loved death. I'm sending him your way. Death always starts with deception. That's why I believe the white horse represents deception. It seems pure, but it's got a bow in its hand. It's coming to kill you. And conquest happens through deceit. By the way, if you study the book of Proverbs, it is a very foolish thing to believe a lie. It's a foolish thing to believe a lie. You and I as Christians, we are struck with Satan's arrows when we believe what he says and his Cleverly packaged lies instead of, here's the way you overcome believing lies. Make sure you're believing the truth. And people are setting themselves up today for a false gospel, for a false Christ, because they've rejected the true one. And God's going to send along the white horse of, of deception and of defeat, and then discord and destruction follows. What is Satan? He is a liar and a murderer. So Jesus called him in John chapter 8. He is a liar and a murder. And that's what you see going on here. But what we're finding is this is what the, the people that are on earth at this time, by and large, they've said that's what we want. We prefer lies over truth. And we prefer death over life. When Jesus came, did he come preaching death or life? Eternal life. Death was already present. 
He came preaching life, and by and large, the world has said, no, we'd rather have death than life. I did not write it down. I wish now I had. The, uh, there was a study done, and, and whether this is a fictional report, supposedly it had been a military-funded study, uh, and we couldn't, it cannot be established at the time that the, the book was written that I read, whether or not truly it was uh, uh, a report from the military-funded or if somebody wrote it fictionally, uh, nonetheless, it's compelling what was said, and that would be uh, the effect of peace and not war on earth by some, some, uh, some minds, I, I, again, didn't write it down, but very educated men studying from different angles and perspectives, uh, would the world be a better place without war? And their resounding answer was no, because war is good for economies, and war is good for um, motivating the youth. And war is good for the older factions being able to keep the younger ones in check. War is good for thinning world population. War is good. <laughs> and the list went on and on and on about why we, why we need war. And the, the, it goes right along with what we're saying. That's why I reference it tonight. And that is there is in the sin nature a craving after, especially for the lost, there's a craving after Death, and God says, okay, and he's going to send the sword, and he's going to send famine, and it's going to bring death. Now, notice verse 8 again about this pale horse. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. That's where death sends its victims. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger. So that's the red horse and the black horse, sword and hunger, okay? With sword and with hunger and with Death. Isn't that a strange thing to say? There was power to kill with death, meaning natural causes of death. So not only are you going to have multiplied deaths through war and through conflict, not only are we going to have multiplied deaths through starvation, but even death from disease, death from just natural causes, accidents, meaning God is unleashing his mercy, pulling back his mercy and he's letting death increase, meaning by and large, death is given more opportunity to take lives. I said this in traveling. I've, I've been uh, to a couple of foreign fields, you know, Nigeria and Mexico. My first two mission trips, both of them, the first one I witnessed someone killed, in the, watched their death. Not a pretty thing to see. And it was a car accident. A car merely rear-ended an 18-wheeler and... There was a load, and the load shifted and killed the driver instantly. We found out the next day he was a 23-year-old Muslim. It shook me to my core because I watched a man go to hell like that, that quick. He was right beside us. We're here, right there. I watched him drive by us, could smell his brakes. He couldn't stop. Boom, dead, just like that. And then we saw us on 18-wheeler turned over, and then we went to Mexico. And as we're traveling out the day leaving, some of you remember this, you were with us, it was a dead body laying on the, on the interstate, not covered, you know, just lying there. And I said, one thing about being in those places, and I'm not trying to be morbid tonight, but bear with me, is death was so much more real and so much more common. It was, I was in the city, I saw the death in Nigeria, an 18-wheeler tipped over, and one died in that uh, a motorcycle accident. One of the pastor's wife that week had a motorcycle accident. I mean, there was just death and harm was all around you because of the circumstances. Now, you think about that becoming worldwide. To where you're living, I mean, death is on every corner. Um, we were told during COVID that we would see things like that. Thankfully, 
it did not get that bad here. I'm glad for that. But the fact of the matter is, is death itself will be multiplied. People will be dying at much higher rates, and that's because God has said so. He's pulled back. He sent the rider of death and hell, and it is multiplied so that a fourth of the earth's population is dying. The Bible then mentions not only death, so from that death would be from natural causes. Okay, it's going to be increased. And then with the beasts of the earth. Now, again, I'll lean on the writers I read, but two out of the three of the writers I'm reading after, uh, solid sound men, said it's hard to fathom that all of a sudden lions and bears are going to be roaming the streets killing people. That's kind of what you think of right away, right? That, well, the lions are coming out of the woods. They're going to be start tearing people. They could, but this is interesting. One of the authors pointed out that in Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul is shipwrecked, and he's on an, on an island, and a venomous what comes out of the fire and gets him. The Bible calls it a beast. So when we think beast, we think a lion or a tiger or a bear. Oh my. <laughs> but it also can be a reptile. It can be a rodent. He's talking about the animals of the earth. What have we been hearing about what spreads disease among us? Yeah, you hear about bats and even rats carry so many diseases that if there were a famine in the land and they're scurrying for food, all of a sudden you get the picture, what's held in balance now and allows life to go on at a fairly peaceable tick without too much disruption will be no longer. Because the circumstances in the world will have changed, even the beasts are going to now be causing more damage and death to people. Basically what happens is God has removed his merciful wall of protection that, that we have so long enjoyed. I mean, I understand there's, there's carnage on this earth and men talk about how bad things are, but the truth is it's nothing like what it's going to be when the seals start being opened. And here's what we should understand. You realize how, God, how long God has waited before he starts doing this? Already God's been very, very patient. How many men, if you could put a number on it, do you think have verbally and intentionally blasphemed the name of Jesus Christ? Today, you can't go in public without hearing it. it. People love to talk about Jesus, but they don't mean him. They don't use his name all the time. Angry, upset. Isn't it amazing when men get angry whose name they curse? They don't curse the devil. They curse God. You know why? Because in the heart is animosity toward God. And if we don't repent, it stays. And now God's patience has run out. In these first four seals, we see the four horsemen. What it is, is these are all things that are already present in earth, but they're sent forth in this judgment with intention for causing death and destruction as a judgment from God. I find it very, very intriguing. What we'll find in these, four, in these six seals, again, are things that are already here, including an earthquake, magnified and intensified. What you find in the vials is not natural things, but supernatural things. God surpassing the natural order of things, not only intensifying, but overwhelming with his pouring out of judgment. And so, uh, boy, we would do well. Again, what's the application to us? If you know you're saved tonight, the application is not to cause you to go home and have nightmares. I remember watching films about Revelation when I was about five, and, and I had nightmares. I, I did. It terrified me. 
Um, I had just received the Lord as my Savior. I didn't know what it meant to be sure you were saved. I was just getting sure I was saved. I mean, I was saved and I knew it, but I was terrified. You watch these films of these plagues being poured out on earth and it terrified me. That is not God's intention. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But you know what this should do? It should give us a sober mind. This should give us a soberness of mind. You know what else did I do? Not to help us hate iniquity. Look what man's sin brings upon him. It ought to instill a fresh hatred for our adversary, the devil. You want to hate somebody? Hate the devil. <laughs> Amen? You want to take revenge on something? Revenge sin. Look at the consequence of rebellion against God. It's death and it's hell and all these horrendous things. And so it ought to also motivate us, as we've said already, to go out and tell people how they can be saved from the wrath that is to come. This is, by the way, this is just the foretaste of his wrath. This, is, this isn't even really the wrath of God. This is simply the withholding of his mercy and protection. He's not really pouring anything intentionally out. He's just letting the natural consequences of sin be amplified. We'll see as we go forward, it changes. And so I hope this is helpful to us tonight. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Mm -hmm.